Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been thinking a lot of late about what does it mean to bear witness. And of course, these other themes of word and spirit and justice, which I think all really come together in the section of scripture that I want to look at right now, which is Isaiah 42. It's the first of the servant poems and looking at it in its setting of Isaiah 41 through 43. So I'm going to start out by reading the first few verses of Isaiah 42 and then talk about the identity of the servant and then make some applications to, um, you know, who the servant might be today and then look at the the means that the servant uses to bear witness and, um, and the mission of the servant and how that is relevant to us now, I believe. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 42, verses 1. And um, actually, I'm going to look at verses 2 to 4 later. Um, let's read verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So God is identifying um, his servant and presenting the servant before somebody. Behold my servant. And who is the Lord um, really presenting his servant to? It looks like it's to um, like the coastlands who are defined, um, who are identified in chapter 41, verse 1. Coastlands, listen to me in silence and let the peoples gain new strength. Um, and and that's the, the immediate context. And and there's others also that that are that are mentioned in this um, in this section. There's the people of Israel, and there is um, also the idols and those that put their trust in those idols. And um, but anyway, the Lord is saying, "Check out my servant. You know, I introduce him to you here. Uh, this is someone I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights." I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So while the servant has a very high vocation here, doesn't he? You know, um, he's identified with God in a very close way. God upholds this one, chooses him, uh, delights in the servant, places the spirit upon the servant, and gives him this mission to bring forth justice not just to Israel, but to all of the non-Jews, the, the nations. And who is the servant in the context of Isaiah? If we look at the term Eved in Hebrew, servant, it occurs quite a few times in Isaiah 40 to 55, uh, especially that section of Isaiah, which is uh, situated in the Babylonian captivity when um, Israel was carried off because of um all of its idolatrous practices. And, you know, the prophets, the post-exilic prophets, or pre-exilic prophets, I mean, um, Amos, um, Isaiah, who wrote the first 39 chapters, much of Jeremiah, and there's other prophets, warned Israel that they needed to abandon the high places, the places where they would make sacrifices to the Canaanite gods, and and they needed to live righteous lives that were committed to justice to the poor and to the strangers and aliens and 
you know, and there's so many oracles that expose the corruption and the injustice of God's people prior to the exile and warn them that they would be carried off and, um, and they would be taken captive. And they were, you know, first it was the Northern tribes. They were carried off by the Assyrians. And then, um, then the Southern tribes of, uh, of Judah, you know, Judah and Benjamin who were carried off by the Babylonians. So Israel then, um, were, they were captives. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple was destroyed and, uh, God's people were in Babylon serving as slaves to the Babylonians. And they lost everything. They, they, their former glory had been completely uh, destroyed. And it was a judgment from God that God warned them uh, about and actually prophesied that they would be carried off and that they, and that that was just, that was, that was, that was their destiny. And so here they are, they're in captivity. And, um, and the servant consistently in Isaiah 40, 55 is identified clearly as Israel. So Israel as an enslaved people. And we can see that first in um, chapter 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen. See the same language, um, my servant, um, I've chosen. So, but here it's clearly identified as Israel, as Jacob, synonyms um, as they are. Descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and, it's, and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. They would have definitely felt like they were rejected after having been carried off by the Babylonians and, and the temple destroyed and everything, uh, Jerusalem destroyed. Do not fear for I am with you. God says, um, and God goes on um, through the prophet Isaiah prophesying all kinds of hope to the people and um, and then telling them the afflicted and the needy are seeking water but there's none and their tongue is parched with thirst I the Lord will answer them myself as the God of Israel I will not forsake them I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water so there's all this incredible hope that is prophesied for God's people, but it's Israel, okay, in their status as slaves. And is this like a righteous, um, you know, remnant within Israel or like, um, you know, an individual who is uh, noteworthy? Um, I think that in the setting of Isaiah, we see that it's really talking about God's people, I think, as a whole. And if we look later in chapter 42, this is just amazing to me. Uh, chapter 42, verse 18 and following. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is so blind as he who is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. So Israel is being identified here as the servant, but in its broken state of not hearing and not seeing, of being called blind, but yet God's addressing uh, the, the deaf and the blind. Here, 
and look, right? Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. And this is a reference directly back to the earlier prophecies in Isaiah chapter 6, where um, the prophet Isaiah, when he was called, when he was in the temple, um, you know, he has this encounter with God and he sees God and he, he realizes that he's lost. You know, he has this uh, huge uh, sort of a revelation about himself. Uh, he'd gone into the temple, qualified as a righteous person, cleansed as he would have had to be to go into the temple. And many think that he was part of the priestly class. But then God shows up and he has this vision of God. And um, and he sees these seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And um, and then he, he, he sees himself uh, as broken. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then the seraphim come and... Um, with burning a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the altar, and he touches Isaiah's lips and says, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And um, then he heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And this was, um, you know, who will go for us to God's people, to God's people Israel, prior to the exile. You know, uh, when so God's raising up Isaiah to go and to speak to his people who, you know, who were really uh, in a bad state of rebellion. And and um, and so Isaiah says, um, here I am, send me. And then he, this text, which is quoted all over the place in the New Testament. And uh, but Isaiah 42, uh, verse 18 to 20 is referring to it directly. So God said, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is in its stump. So um, this is a very hard commission for Isaiah to go and, um, and, to, and to really announce to people that they were gonna, um, that they were gonna keep on looking but not perceive, keep on hearing but not understand, and um, and that that was that would be their their state, their spiritual state until um, until everything was uh, they lost everything that they put their hope in, everything you know cities were um, you know were devastated and without inhabitant, and that's what happened with the Babylonian exiles. So now the people have been through that and. Um, and Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people, you know, um, and and this whole message that they've received from the Lord's hand, double for all their sins. And now there's this new, um, new opportunity. And so the prophet, um, God is speaking through the prophet, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. 
who is blind but my servant, or so deaf is my messenger whom I send. So if you think about what would qualify you to be the Lord's servant in chapter 42, um, you know, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This incredible mission of bringing justice to the nations is given to none other than a people that don't hear, that don't see, that are that are blind, that are deaf. And, um, and not only that, um, verse 22, but this is a people plundered and despoiled. All of them are trapped in caves or are hidden away in prisons. They become a prey with none to deliver them in a spoil with none to say, give them back. And so, um, you know, this is uh, the servant of the Lord is, uh, is then Israel in Israel's broken down, um, you know, sort of uh, loser status, really, um, having lost the land, um, lost their status, lost all any wealth that they had, lost their, you know, their homes, their land. Uh, they bottomed out. They're in exile, and God is reaching out to them through this um, this prophetic movement uh, that was inspired by Isaiah, and asking the question: Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen hereafter? Who was it that gave up Jacob for spoil and Israel to plunder earth? Was it not the Lord against whom we've sinned, and in whose ways they were not willing to walk? And in whose law they did not obey, and um, he is so he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle, and it set him ablaze all around. Yet he did not recognize it, and it burned him, but he paid no attention. But but then in chapter forty three, we have this incredible, um, just this powerful message that says, um, "But now, thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel." Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You know, you are my servant. You are not the Babylonian servant. Um, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. Nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom, ransom cushioned Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, and um, and then in verse eight, God says, "Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears." All the nations have gathered together. So think about this. God is saying in verse uh, one of chapter forty-two, "Behold, my servant." Um, you know. Um, He's presenting the servant to the nations. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Who will do that? Well, it's the very one. Um, it's the people who have been devastated, um, who are being given this mission. You know, and what qualifies them is God. It's not that they have a character um, you know, kind of a high level of righteousness that they exhibit. They, you know, they haven't presented um, themselves, you know, for this role, this job, and as hyper-qualified as, as having gotten their act together and 
proven themselves to be, you know, um, excellent teachers or, you know, uh, they haven't, they don't have any diplomas. Um, they don't have anything. Um, it's God who is bringing out the people. Um, it says, all the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is true. And then here, listen to this, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am the one. Before me there is no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am God, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? All right, so this is a message that is super hopeful to the people that we work with at Tierra Nueva. You know, um, people in um, our jail system, in our prison system, you know, they've lost everything. Um, they come out of jail, they come out of prison, and often they're homeless, they, they, they're in debt, they don't have any credit, they, um, their families are broken, they um, have the label felon, they, um, you know, they, they really often don't have skills because maybe when they, uh, you know, they were out on the streets, they were dealing drugs. So they have certain skills, but not skills that are, that are going to give them a good income. And, and it costs a lot to live in our county, to pay for your rent and all your utilities. And, you know, so there's pressure on these people. And people in our church, many of them are still addicted to substances. You know, we're reaching out and doing Bible studies with people who are actively using fentanyl and methamphetamines and using other substances. And, and these are people who, um, you know, they're like, they, they, they're similar to the way the servants described here in many ways. And so they see themselves in that and that, um, and so they feel hope. We've been reading this, um, the last few days with some of our people, at, you know, we did a Bible study yesterday in, you know, just by the river in just outside in downtown Mount Vernon. And, and this text really spoke to people. And they could see themselves as being included in this um, in this mission of the servant and being called my servant. And um, in contrast, I think you know the church today so often is um, is in a different place. You know, it's it hasn't really bottomed out and recognized, you know, that that it's broken and and that and that it's exiled. Um, there's there's sort of a sense that um, you know that we can make America great again, you know. Like, and there's even hope that many people have in certain parts of the evangelical church, especially the white evangelicals in the United States, thinking that that they can actually gain the power back uh, and the influence back. And um, you know, we were just watching a film this this uh, this week. We saw this film called Super Spreader which was um, featuring Sean Foyt, who, who did a big um, a bunch of worship events all across the United States, right in the heart of the pandemic, as a way to, you know, kind of uh, 
let it be known that no one was going to tell Christians that they can't sing, even though um, it was it was seen, you know, that singing was, um, you know, was spreading coronavirus, right? And in fact, right here in our town in Mount Vernon, some of the very first deaths from coronavirus uh, happened because, um, you know, a, a local choir was, was gathering in Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church. You know, it was a community choir and um, someone had coronavirus and a number of people got it in, like four people from that choir died. Um, and and that's where it became um, known that, that actually singing was spreading the virus. So in lots and lots of uh, places, lots of states and actually in lots of countries, there was, um, you know, there was legislation that was telling Christians, like, you can't meet, you can't sing. And, um, but Sean Foyt saw that as a threat to religious freedom. And so rather than uh, complying, you know, with the laws and um, wearing a mask and, and respecting public safety and, and just respecting, uh, you know, the, the governor of California and, um, you know, and, and just the CDC and just other organizations, these guys just went on this big campaign and they, and uh, to kind of insist on, you know, on their right to, uh, you know, to proclaim the way that they proclaimed, which was through big, you know, big concerts. There were open air concerts in cities where no one wore masks at all, and where they put a lot of people in danger. And I just been thinking a lot about just the sort of the mindset of the church that wants to exert its its power and its influence and its domination, and um, and how different that is than than the folks that are really at the lower end of our society that feel dominated by the status quo and under the thumb of the system. And, and they are, I mean, they're literally, um, slaves of the system because they, you know, they're incarcerated and they, and they, and they have a debt to pay to society as they, as, as they say. And, uh, and then they have a lot of money that they owe as well. And, uh, and the farm workers that we work with, same thing, you know, they're just, uh, working in order to make enough money just to, just to survive. You know, we just had, uh, a, extended family that left today for Mexico because uh, they've been here over 25 years and some of the a lot of the kids were born here but they all decided we're going to move back to Oaxaca because you know all we're doing is just working 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 and and we're just barely surviving we're just paying our rent and paying our utilities and um, you know we we have land and back in our village and so they're going back and uh you know, and they didn't want to be slaves. They said, we don't want to just work seven days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. You know, we want to be able to do something else besides work. And so they're, they took off in their van and, and they moved away back to their country for good. And so anyway, I think Isaiah 42, I want to look at the next part of this. So the servant of the Lord is someone who's been a beneficiary of the Lord's saving action in there um, as something that they didn't merit. Um, they were blind, they were deaf, um, and they had suffered the consequences of their own rebellion. And yet God's uh, covenant with them was irrevocable. And God's love and um, care for them was, you know, was continuous. And so um, 
Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And check out now the means that the servant uses. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. You know, in contrast to a lot of the approach um, of this super spreader movie, which was like, we're going to cry out as loud as we can. We're going to sing and worship. We're going to have these big public events. You know, we're going to um, defy uh, the mask mandates and the stay-at-home mandates and the no singing mandates. And we are going to just shout out praises to God. And, you know, this servant is really crying out, um, is not crying out, is, is not raising his voice or making his voice heard in the street. It says a bruised reed he will not break. So he's not going to oppress or crush people that are already down and out. In a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish, but he'll faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his teaching. And imagine the teaching that the servant has uh, because God has um, qualified the servant despite the servant's uh, failings and brokenness and sin and spiritual blindness and deafness. And, um, and yet God's um, call is irrevocable. The gifts and call of God are irrevocable. And, and, and so the servant has been um, chosen and, um, and not rejected. And God has said, I'm with you and I will strengthen you and I will help you and I'll, I'll uphold you with my right hand. And so that's a message that people everywhere really need to hear, don't they? You know, we need to hear that. And, um, and so it goes on, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. So the mission of the servant is to, is to actually liberate people who are prisoners and who's better able to carry out that mission than someone who themselves has been liberated from being a prisoner and who's been saved out of darkness and out of chaos. And, and so it's, it's like the movement of God that we're seeing right now, um, just in, in our ministry is, is really looking a lot like this, like people coming out of prison, people coming out of addiction who, who've been broken to the point of, of feeling hopeless and, and, but they're hearing the, the, the word of God, you are my servant, you know, um, and not only you're my servant, but I love you and I have chosen you and I have not rejected you and, and you're my friend and uh, I put my spirit upon you and I, hold you. And I give you this mission to bring forth justice um, to the nations. I mean, everywhere, to all the non-Jews. Um, literally, that word nation means that, you know, the non-Jewish peoples. And, um, and the coastlands are described as waiting expectantly for his law, right? He will not be disheartened or crushed until he's established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for 
his Torah, which is like his teaching or his, or his instruction. So there's people out there that are hungry. You know, we, we were just reading earlier about how the afflicted and the needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. And um, and so the Lord is, you know, is is sending, looking for people to go out and to and to bring this message, and the and the people that uh, that God's chosen to be the witnesses are the very ones who have themselves um, suffered, you know, from um, having their cities lie waste and be without inhabitant, and um, and they've lost everything and. And the thing that I really see is that this is um, this is this is at the heart of the gospel, is is just recognizing that um, you know that we really need a savior, and that that savior has to be God one hundred percent. Earlier in Isaiah chapter forty one, one of the real polemics here is that um, you know that Cyrus, King Cyrus of Persia, is you know is growing in power. And Babylon is being threatened because Cyrus is 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 coming, and Cyrus is um, you know is a, is a is an imperialist who's who's spreading the Persian you know the Persian kingdom everywhere, and people are afraid, and the Babylonians are afraid, and and they're the ones that are that are that have the Israelites uh, as as slaves and, and as captives, and the Israelites are afraid. And it says that, um, you know, each person is helping his neighbor and saying to his brother, be strong. So the craftsman encouraged the smelter and he who smooths metal with a hammer encourages him who beats the anvil. And they're, they're, they're making idols that, uh, that they're putting their hope in. And I really see that happening today. You know, people, um, people feel threatened by a lot of different things. They feel threatened by, uh, some people feel threatened by the liberal movement of our government uh, towards you know, just uh, allowing for, uh, you know, trans and gay lesbians, you know, people to have more and more of a voice and more and more rights and, and you know, and the pro-choice movement. Um, you know, a lot of people feel threatened by liberalism and by what they call the deep state. And there's a lot of fear and, and there's a lot of people that are arming themselves. And the gun has, is definitely one of the idols that, um, that people are worshiping in. You know, and, and people are arming themselves. Many, many people are arming themselves against, um, you know, against what they consider to be the threat of the deep state. Others are very afraid of, uh, you know, of the right wing, you know, movement of, of, of Trump and, and of just the rise of Christian nationalism and the rise of, of just um, fascism around the world in, in lots of different countries, you know. Um, and there's a lot of fear about that. And, um, and there's a lot of fear about people like Putin and what Putin's doing in the Ukraine, and in a sense that there's a huge threat um, that needs to be stopped through arming the, you know the, you know the people of Ukraine against the Russians, and you know, and there's fear of nuclear war, and you know, and there's fear of maybe the pandemic still, and and so people go to um, you know to the idols of our day, you know, we try to. Um, and we try to save as much money we as we can, and and of course people's money is is threatened by, you know, by the economic downturn that we're facing right now, and and so there's a lot of fear, and our tendency is to put our hope in you know in idols, you know whether that's um, weaponry, you know for our own personal self defense or mammon, you know just 
money and um, our pursuit of wealth or, um, you know, or our nation and identifying our nation as, um, you know, as originally Christian and, and wanting to take back, um, you know, our nation for, um, you know, for Christ or whatever in, in a way that, you know, that I think is, um, can be really idolatrous and, and is. And so I think right now uh, is a time when we need to be taking stock of all of these dangers of putting our hope in idols. And uh, like the servant, we need to take stock of just our own uh, broken down state. And the more that we've been through and the more that we faced our own, um, you know, our own error and our own, um, you know, the more aware we are, I guess, of just, just our own um, need for God. And, um, you know, and if we've been through just a lot of personal failure or we, we faced uh, chronic illness or we've had a lot of loss and maybe we've dealt with just a lot of serious mental health issues personally or in our families and, or we've dealt with, you know, severe depression or, you know, I mean, so many of the calamities that we face are actually, um, are actually occasions for us to come to that point where we just recognize, wow, I really need God to help me. I need a savior. I need, um, you know, I need to, to just experience being, um, raised up and being um, put on my feet. And I have no other hope except God as the one who saves me because um, there is no other hope. And I think when we come to that point, um, and many people are, are already at that point, and, and the people that are at that point are the people who, you know, have been through addiction and incarceration and homelessness and you know, the people on our native uh, reserves, you know, Native Americans, First Nation people in Canada, you know, um, people that have been through trauma, through abuse, you know, um, people that are refugees, you know, um, I think people who have suffered are, are really right at that point where uh, they're most able to, um, to be witnesses for God. And, and this is exactly what we see when we look at uh, the gospel of Matthew and how um, actually Jesus in the gospel of Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 24, we actually see how this text is used um, to, uh, you know, and, and Jesus is seen as fulfilling it. And it's really interesting because it's really at a moment in Jesus's ministry where he's dealing with, you know, with a lot of opposition and, um, and his response to the opposition is, is, is noteworthy. I'm just going to summarize this briefly. Um, you know, Jesus has just, um, gone to a synagogue where there was a man with a withered hand and, um, and the Pharisees are questioning him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And because they're looking for a way to accuse him. And, and he gives the example of, uh, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't he take a hold of it and lift it up? And how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? And so, um, so he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches it out and it's restored to normal like the other. And it says in verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. 
So, um, so Jesus is is really um, in a in a in a bind there because the the religious leaders, the power brokers of the people of God, are are really uh, conspiring to kill him. And so, look how he responds. You know, does he exert his right to uh, you know to proclaim the good news? I mean, he's he's God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. You know, does he? Um, what does he do? Verse fifteen. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was. Okay, so Jesus has this much. Uh, I mean, it's very different way of bearing witness, right? He does it in such a covert way. And it says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant, whom I've chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out. He won't raise up his voice, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. And Jesus goes straight into, um, you know, who freeing a, a man who's demon-possessed, who is blind and mute, and healing him. And the crowds are amazed, and the Pharisees uh, continue to oppose Jesus, right? And and this escalates to the point of, of Jesus being arrested and, you know, and, and executed. And so what does that mean, you know, uh, in terms of the way that we're called to bear witness, you know, as disciples? I just want to leave you with that question. And, um, you know, are we to exert our rights and make our voice heard um, opposing um, all the all the forces through through political organizing, you know, through um, weaponry, through self defense, through even exerting our you know our constitutional rights. Should that be what we're doing today? You know, I don't think so. I think we're called to be a, a way more um, on the ground, you know, out there, uh, vulnerable movement that just goes uh, from place to place. I love how Jesus went out um, just with this humble band of 12 and um, and he, he wasn't hosting. He was, he was, he was being hosted mostly. And, um, and he sent out his 12 in pairs of two to, uh, to be guests. And, um, and, you know, I think that's going to be the way that we're going to reach people is, uh, is through humbly bearing witness. And, um, and of course people were healed and the gospel was proclaimed, but, um, let's study how Jesus operated and try to practice his way, the way he practiced it in our own time now. And, um, and I believe we're going to see some real fruit when we do that. So God bless you as you go for it.